Hi, and welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, and in today's solo episode, my 50th episode, I'll be sharing about neurodivergent diagnosis that I've received and how it's become my superpower, especially in my business. Even if you don't have autism, you'll be able to hear insights about challenges I face and maybe people you do know with autism also face. You may even relate to some of the challenges and superpowers that I navigate. Welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, wellness and organizational coach and yin and nidra yoga instructor. This podcast will help you create more time using organizational strategies so that you can start to simplify your life and prioritize your health. I'll be sharing conversations with other health and organizational experts and solo episodes with tips to help you simplify your life and prioritize your health. Thanks for joining me for today's solo episode. I'm sharing a little bit more personal details today. I'm sharing about my diagnosis of autism. I'm sharing it for two reasons. One, for those out there who are maybe in the process and just want to hear someone else's lived experience, as well as helping you to understand what autism is and how it affects people and how it can be a challenge, but also a superpower. I realized that I may be autistic was four years ago when after my son's diagnosis and then I started learning a lot about autism and how it affects the brain and emotions and language and also your sensory sensitivities. Around that time, I also started to work with families with neurodivergent diagnosis. And one of the children that I worked with was a female and the mother shared the yellow ladybug conference with me and I went and listened to the three-day conference and by listening to other people's lived experience there were so many light bulb moments so yes that happens to me or yes that happened to me when I was a child it was just great to understand maybe the reasons why so then I probably kept that to myself for a good year and then started to talk to my husband about it and what he thought and he was like, it's up to you, but it's not going to change anything with me. And just by having two neurodivergent children, I felt that it would actually help them to understand both ourselves, myself and them. And, and it has, it's made a real difference. So I finally then went and did the diagnosis last year and it, it confirmed that I was autistic. Then I've spent the last six months just working through and processing that and I've started to share with family and friends and now I feel I'm at the place where I can share it with basically anyone. So one of these little stories that helped me understand the difference between a neurotypical brain and a neurodivergent brain is that in particular an autistic brain has no pruning so it becomes like a really dense forest compared to an easy-to-navigate forest of a neurotypical brain. So they're gathering all the information, but there's none of that pruning and getting rid of the information they don't need. They just keep everything. And whereas your neurotypical brain will have pruning occurring, so the information they don't need is taken away. As you're getting older, there's a lot of information there, which means that it needs a lot more processing time to get to the part of the forest which has the right piece of information. And I definitely have found that throughout my whole life, but in particular, I'm finding it harder as I'm getting older, as I have so much more information and trying to find things. 
So a great resource that I've used and been reading is one of Tony Atwood's books and it breaks up the neurodivergent into different categories. So there's a theory of mind, cognitive abilities, sensory sensitivities, expression of emotions and social understanding, language, special interests, movement and coordination. So I'm going to actually go through each of those and how it relates to me. So the theory of mind is the ability to understand my thoughts, beliefs, desires, intentions of others so that you're able to predict what to do next. And you're able to read faces by looking at the eye region. So when you're a neurodivergent person, will engage in less eye contact. So then they're missing the changes of the expression. So one of the things that uh, I have is this inner dialogue in my head when I'm talking. So after I've maybe had a conversation with someone or when I'm having a conversation, I'm thinking, am I looking too much at their eyes? Was that the wrong thing to say because of what their face might have said? Am I talking too much? And But then I know that when I'm talking, I'll look away because I'm trying to stay focused on what I'm saying. Because if I continue to look, I'll be distracted and then I'll forget mid-sentence what I was even talking about. So that's probably the reason why I know that I don't look at people's eye region the whole time because I need to concentrate when I'm talking. My children are always telling me that my expressions don't match my feelings. So my son in particular will ask, Mom, are you really angry because of the way my face is? And I'm like, no, I'm just concentrating. I'm just tired. So sometimes I might be making different facial expressions to what I'm actually feeling. I will make literal interpretations of things not only myself, but other, even children that I've worked with and t- taught in the, in the past. So they'll have difficulty with sarcasm. One of the things that I would use when I was teaching PE is hop up here or jump up in the classroom and, and the children who would maybe be quite literal would literally do that. And it's not them trying to be smart or cheeky. It's actually they have literally interpreted what you've said. So when I was younger, my dad worked at Alcoa here in Geelong and there was this salt mounds on the way to his work and there were ponds and they were obviously settling the water and taking the salt out. And I literally thought that there was these, oh, there was these, there was these dumpsters there and they would be filling up trucks. And I interpreted that, that they were taking that salt and taking it down to the beach and dumping that in the ocean. And that's why the ocean is salty. And obviously, I found that out through sharing that story with friends when I was in high school that I haven't seen for a long time. And that story is generally brought up with friends from back in high school. Another thing that I do see a lot of when I was teaching all the time is children who are extremely honest And so when someone has done something wrong, those children will have that really strong sense of justice and will tell the teacher who it was. They're not thinking about the implications for themselves from that. They just want to be so honest with what's happened. And it can get really tricky for that student when they're always being so honest. Another thing that I see, and even for myself, is problem solving. We're really great at problem solving, but it's usually with either one, maybe two solutions. Generally, not so open to alternative solutions. 
So this is definitely one of my superpowers is the problem solving. When I go into someone's house and they share about the problems to do with the organization of their room or how an area is functioning, I'm able to work through and ask lots of questions to try and get the best solution to make a place and an area more functional for them. Now, the next area is cognitive abilities, which is like your executive functioning. So it's like planning, working memory, impulse control, self-reflection, time management, and understanding complex concepts. So time management for me is that I am always trying to do one more thing. I'm so productive and it's probably, it's, I use it as a superpower, but it can let get be unstuck at times. And I am always getting the most out of time. I've also had an episode where I've talked about my human design and being a manifesting generator is also part of that and trying to get the most out of life. I did struggle with learning my times tables and spelling and using my memory to do that when I was younger. I still do. I don't know abbreviations. So when people give me letters of things, I have absolutely no idea. It could be the easiest ones, but I still won't know them. And I will either use Google now, ask my husband, or now as I've got older, I will just ask the person, I'm sorry, I don't know what that abbreviation is. Can you please tell me? As a younger child, I was really embarrassed to ask people what that abbreviation was. I really struggle with remembering names unless I've seen it written down. So that's business names, people's names, even famous people. Unless I've actually seen their name in writing, I will not remember it. You can tell me something and I'll not remember it, you know, even an hour later. So when people tell me, oh, you should look up this book, this podcast, I always say, please text it to me. Please message it to me. I need to visually see it. Otherwise, I'm never going to remember it. I do think in pictures more so than words. And so I have to write down everything. I had to write down everything as a young child at school. And even now, when I'm working with a client, I will take photos to remind myself of the tasks. I will write down what I need, but I will also take photos of that at the same time. So in case when I go and look at the writing, I'm like, what does that mean? I'll go to the picture and it will remind me exactly what I need to do. My stress level and tiredness will affect my executive functioning. Like most people, it will. I really will struggle, though, to remember names of things, nouns in particular, or people's names. And so I'm really tired at the end of a week. I'll be trying to talk to my husband about a situation or even my kids, and they've got a running joke now of it. They can replay how I will talk. It would be like, you know that person you know, that has that child that's in your class that has the blue car and you know that place down the road and it goes on like that until they can finally work out what I'm trying to say. That's how bad my executive functioning gets at night time when I am really, really tired. As a younger child, I, and even a young adult, I would faint So when things would get too difficult for me, my body would literally shut down and faint. And that was my way of dealing with overload when things were getting too much for me. I've only realized that in the last four years from hearing other people's stories and hearing lived experience. Before that, I had multiple tests and trying to work out what it was. No one could ever work it out. Lots of like looking at my blood pressure 
And in the end, it was just, this is what you do and you just have to learn to live with it. I really like that now I have a reason for why I used to do this. It doesn't happen to me now as I'm older because now I have a toolkit of strategies to help support myself so I don't get to that point of overwhelm like I did in my teens and also being a young adult. To help with my executive functioning, I do weekly planning, like I have all my activities planned out, my clients planned out, and also my family. We have a family meeting on a Sunday night to go through what the week has entailed for everybody. I have routines or rituals within my week. So the routine, though, is definitely meal planning, and I have all of our meals planned out for the week. I will have done some cooking on the weekend, and that really helps me plan and not feel so overwhelmed. My washing, I will do all the sheets and towels over the weekend, Friday, weekend, whereas during the week I'll just try and keep on top of it by doing at least one load of washing per day or every second day. And now I love online shopping because I don't like going to the supermarkets if I can avoid it. I feel really overwhelmed with the decision making of all the different products there and the lights and the sounds, just the competing noise. If I'm going to get things for my clients, I generally try to work it at times of the day that is going to suit me. So first thing in the morning when there's no one really there and it's generally pretty quiet, sometimes I haven't even put the music on in the store or otherwise I'll go late at night where there's less people. I really don't like doing it on the weekend when it's generally busy and there's lots of people out and about. My sensory sensitivities and when I have sensory overload are due to things like smells of perfumes. So smells are really triggering for me. I could never walk through that perfume part of Myers when I was young. When I was going through puberty, I also really couldn't stand the smell of meat and that would just be really triggering. I sort of turned vegetarian for a while or I was happy to eat it as long as I didn't have to cook it. Whereas as I've got older, Uh, that doesn't affect me so much, the smell of meat. I have a real sensitivity to sounds, especially competing sounds. So if the TV is on, my kids are talking and someone else is playing music, I'll absolutely have a massive meltdown to that. I can't stand it. Uh, Shopping centers are okay, but like I said, if I go at a time that would suit me where there's not going to be so many people around, When I drive my car, I drive in silence. I might have a podcast on, but I don't have music on generally. My kids are in the car, they'll ask for it. But if they start talking to me, I have to turn it off. I can't have music and talking at the same time. I also have real sensitivity to sight. So I would squint my eyes in photos. I squint my eyes all the time. So I'm generally, you'll find me wearing sunglasses, even on a really overcast day. I find that really helps me. I also think with my eyes, so I'm a visual thinker. I use photos to remember and evoke positive emotions and memories. I absolutely love photos and I always have and now understanding why. The reason is that evoking the positive emotions every time I look at them is probably why I was so attracted to photos as a younger kid and even photography. I really liked that when I was in my 20s. If I see something unpleasant, I can't forget it. And I actually have a whole body reaction to it. Growing up, I could not watch horror movies, clips, medical procedures, anything like that, because it would still stay stay with me. And I would actually feel that all over my body. I have an oversensitivity to touch, like handshakes and tags are probably the main one, or scratchy material. 
I don't like like the bath towels that aren't soft, so I use a dryer to dry them. I don't use a dryer for my clothes. They're okay. It's just towels. I don't like t- clothes that are tight, so don't particularly like leggings if I don't have to wear them unless I am exercising. And it sounds a bit weird because I was a PE teacher. Lucky when I started, you know, 25 years ago, leggings weren't a thing and tracksuit pants were in, so that was fine. And it's only over the last few years as I've moved away from teaching and into the wellness coaching and also organization that leggings sort of became a thing as a PE teacher. I also really don't like uh, the feel of nail polish on my nails. It feels heavy and I'm always thinking about it when I have got it on my nails. I also need to make sure my nails are at a certain length. It really annoys me when they're too long or in particular there's just one that's really long. My perception of pain and temperature is a little bit out. So when I stub my toe, it is the most painful thing. And I used to always, that was one thing I was always wondering about. Why does no one else carry on the way I would over a stubbed toe? But I've broken bones before, like one in my foot and my shoulder blade. And the one in my foot I had for two months before I did something about it. I used to say there was a bit of pain, but... I kept going for two months until I actually then had to have an operation on it. I also didn't have any pain relief during childbirth, which probably sounds really bizarre to some people. Temperature, I can't tolerate cold as much as warm. I'm a lot better off in warm weather. At the gym, I wear gloves if it's a really cold day. I can't stand the feel of a cold dumbbell, so I'll try and get the ones that aren't made of metal or I'll wear my gloves. As a kid, I probably was quite sensitive to eating and trying new foods. I'd stick to the same things. Whereas as I've got older, I've definitely become more of a sensory seeker and will try things as I've sort of moved later into adulthood. Then it comes to expression of emotions and social understanding. I'm a perfectionist, so I notice mistakes. I don't notice though things out of center. So for example, if a bed wasn't in the middle of the room, I wouldn't particularly notice that. I've worked with clients that do notice that and are worried by that. I do though, like say the baskets need to be all the same color and the same style. If one was different, that would worry me. I had a real fear of failure when I was growing up. Not so much now as I'm older and I've worked through those things and worked with therapists. When I was younger, I had real muscle tension in my jaw. I'd unconsciously grind my teeth all the time and I wear a mouth plate at night now and I've used meditation. That has definitely helped by doing yoga as well and becoming a yoga teacher. That has really helped me to relax my shoulders, but also to be really conscious of when I'm holding tension in my jaw. I used to be in stress mode all the time. I literally was running on stress the whole time. I actually probably really liked that feeling because I was unsure about those other feelings. So I would just keep going thinking this was a good way to live. And it definitely wasn't good for my immunity. And also it had stomach issues. I now have a diet of gluten-free and dairy-free, which has really helped. And I also have a beautiful naturopath. I definitely had anxiety as a child growing up and then into early adulthood. And it wasn't until my kids were born that then I was finally diagnosed with general anxiety. And I would overthink everything. I had headaches all the time as a young child 
from obviously worrying and then also probably the grinding of my teeth. So if I do have an issue and that overthinking and I can't stop thinking about it or I've left something somewhere, an analogy that I've heard is it's like wearing an itchy jumper. Imagine wearing an itchy jumper all day long and you can't take it off for days. That is what it's like in my brain when I can't get something out of my head and I just keep thinking about it over and over and over and just worrying and worrying about it until I can hopefully fix it. Some things can't be fixed. And that's when I've used energy healing and yoga to actually help me bring some calm and peace to my body and my brain. When I was younger and things would be too much or I'd be tired, I would cry. I would cry a lot. And it actually probably helped me in the long run because it would release a lot of emotions. But as I've got older, I've probably tended to be more on that angry side and react to things based on my emotions and how I'm feeling. So if I'm really tired, I will react with a massive reaction. Whereas if I've had a good night's sleep, I've been to the gym, I have maybe read my book and I'm not tired at all. And one of my kids, for example, spills their drink all over the floor, the carton of milk, which is, this is a great example. I'm happy to then help them sort out their clothes, clean up the mess and not be so frustrated and not yell. But I know that when I'm at capacity and I start yelling, that that's when I need to stop and take a break and maybe take something off my plate. Definitely yoga has been that key for helping me to connect my mind, body, and emotions. Now, language is the next area. The art of conversation So something I have got better at, I still do it occasionally, is blurting out when we're in a conversation. I would do this when I was younger all the time and this was because I was worried about forgetting things. I was worried then I would not be able to continue the conversation with someone because I'd forgotten what I was going to say. I'd also then be worried about I looked uninterested or maybe uneducated if I couldn't then continue the conversation with somebody. So a strategy I used when I was 18 and onwards into early adulthood was alcohol to help cope in social situations. So I wouldn't be worrying about what I needed to say, whether I was saying anything right. It would just numb out all those worries. But obviously the next week this didn't help because then I'd be worried about what was the conversation I had. Did I share too much? So alcohol is definitely not something that's predominant in my life now. Now that I have the strategies for social situations as well as So special interests are like the acquisition of knowledge for me. I always wanted to gain more knowledge around human behavior. As a kid, I'd watch TV shows like Punky Brewster, Home and Away, Neighbors, Country Practice, Friends, Gilmore Girls, Sex in the City, all of these. So this was a way for me to learn how to act out in society, those expectations of behavior. And that's why I was so attracted to them. Now, though, I love to study through podcasts, books, and online courses. And when I was developing my own online course, uh, Clutter to Calm, one of the facts that I read was there were so many people do not actually finish a course. I've never not finished a course. I found that's really hard to believe. I am the person who finishes every course. I can't leave something unfinished. I couldn't even leave a project unfinished. It has to be finished. Everything has to be finished till the end. 
The other special interest I've had over the years is definitely health. I love whole food cooking. I used to make natural beauty products all the time. I loved gardening, but I've sort of moved more to the indoor plants. They don't take up as much time and they're a lot easier to look after, I find, than outdoor. Yoga, organization, really passionate and interested in. And when I was starting my business, obviously everything that came with business, marketing, productivity, podcasts, came really interested in it. I'd learn everything there was to do with it and then outsource the parts that I don't need to do anymore. Then there's movement and coordination. I had poor coordination as a kid. I was a really clumsy kid. I always had bruises. At high school, though, I joined the gym and I also started doing aerobics and this really helped me. I always loved, though, how I felt after exercise. My brain is able to function better. I'm able to regulate my emotions. And this is why I still have this as part of my daily routine, going to the gym three times a week and also and going for a walk with the dog. It's when I don't exercise that I really notice how much it helps me. So it motivates me to continue to do it. I actually need to go to a class though to do my exercise. I can't just then go and do weights. I'm not as motivated. I love having people around me to keep me motivated and to actually turn up to the class each week. So my superpowers, definitely problem solving And definitely in my business, that problem solving really lends well to the jobs that I do. Researching, I'm always looking for answers to different things, in particular around health and organization. Really rely on routines and predictability in my life. And I absolutely love learning, learning about so many things. Any of those special interests, I will learn all about it until I've mastered it and then move on to something else. I'm also able to hyper-focus on things. So to get things done, I'll fixate on that particular job that I need to do. And in particular, making content for podcasts, I'll try and do it all in one weekend. And then I will record a few all in a row. I work so much better when I can just hyper-focus on things. So I know I'm probably going to get questions about places to go to for more information. So I'll share that. One of my favorite places is definitely Yellow Ladybug. Their conference you can go on to, it's TEDx style day with small snippets of different lived experience. This year's was out of the 50 presenters, 48 were neurodivergent. So you're getting everything from a lived experience. So I highly recommend looking that up. Alison Davies, which I also have in a couple of weeks as a guest, amazing neurodivergent woman who has an understanding of the brain and how it works and how we can support that. Another book which I read earlier this year, Rosie Weldon, My Autistic Fight Song, I highly recommend. It was great. There was actually lots of things that I read from her book that I was like, I used to do that or I still do that myself. Another one is The Spectrum Girls Survival Guide, How to Grow Up Awesome and Autistic, and that one's by Sienna Castellone, and I'll definitely link to these in the show notes. I hope by sharing my story, you can understand more about autism and how you can support others. Learning the neurotypical language is what's going to help us and radical acceptance of what my brain and body needs is what helped me to record this podcast. Thanks again for listening to Simply Happy Conversations. 
Thank you so much for joining me for today's Simply Happy Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review. This helps others find it who are also looking for tips and organizational strategies to simplify their life and prioritize their health. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss future episodes. You can also connect with me over at simplyhappy.com.au.